Thanks for tuning in to Secure Sessions, sponsored by IPVanish VPN. Catch all new episodes Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time at ipvanish.com slash podcasts or on iTunes and SoundCloud, keyword Secure Sessions. Welcome back to the Secure Sessions podcast, sponsored by IPVanish. I'm Josh Galliardi, and with me today is Hamid Khan, the coordinator for the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition. Hamid, thanks very much for talking to us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. So you are absolutely at the front of a bunch of interesting surveillance trends, specifically seeing a situation where, as much as we talk about the federal government, we've got what is, in its essence, a local government, even if it's one of the largest cities in the world, that is pushing the bounds of what's acceptable and really uh, driving, in many people's opinion, well, well beyond what's acceptable. Yes, absolutely. And we are obviously in Los Angeles. We are dealing with the Los Angeles Police Department. And of course, there's, a, there's a Los Angeles by itself is a megalopolis, I would say. And when you look at Southern California and you look at Los Angeles County overall, you're looking at close to about 18 million people or so. LA County by itself is about uh, has got 42 different police departments, of which uh, LAPD is the biggest one, um, with a very long history, with a very long history of spying and surveillance and infiltration. And I think uh, just as you started off, Josh, by bringing it down to a local level, I think it's really critical for folks to understand that while a lot of focus and conversation is usually placed around federal agencies like the, the FBI and the NSA, but local spying, surveillance and infiltration, you know, just precedes uh, even the creation of FBI by several decades. And um, where I can point to um, the Red Squads themselves, which uh, directly link to, uh, we just uh, celebrated May Day, which directly linked to May Day and the, how May Day even got started with the Haymarket strikes in Chicago in 1886. Um, which uh, led to uh, the creation of uh, uh, secret and covert intelligence and information gathering sections in the Chicago Police Department, uh, known as the Red Squads, uh, two years after that happened, uh, which then led to various other agencies at the time, Philadelphia Police Department, New York, and then Los Angeles itself. And we've been able to track uh, the history of LAPD's ah. surveillance programs almost back to 1923. Um, and it's a very checkered history, it's a violent history, it's a morbid history, uh, how they have targeted people, how they have infiltrated people's lives, how they have, um, you know, entrapped people, how they have paid uh, sex workers to have sex with city council members and then to entrap them, how they had infiltrated um, back in the uh, 70s or so every city council member's office in Los Angeles, every nonprofit uh, in the city of Los Angeles, even uh, the mayor, uh, the black mayor, Tom Bradley's office, and what was also very alarming uh, that uh, as Tom Bradley, the mayor at the time, was having conversations with United Farm Workers, all this information was being gathered by the LAPD and basically being shipped over to groups in the Bay Area. Uh, one of the groups called uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm losing the name right now, which is very much an extension of the John Birch Society, which is an extreme right sure. group out of LA. So, so yeah. So, thank you for raising this and bringing down, bringing it down to a local level. Uh, the the group was called Western Golds Society. Got so, it. 
Mm-hmm. So, so there's a situation where you have the police department not being an impartial enforcer of law, but uh, participating actively very much in a one-sided way on what were fundamentally uh, political decisions. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and I think it's a uh, one can one can clearly say that the corruption and the 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 rogue nature of LAPD still very much continues. I mean, it's just a, we saw what happened, you know, after the the the, uh, the Watts uprising and a commission that was being set up. And uh, rather than going back too far in history, let's even look back with uh, 1992 and the LA uprising with Rodney King's beating and the Christopher Commission being set up, which led to uh, even bringing in an office of inspector general. But before the ink was even dried off, you know, the whole issue with Rampart Division started coming up of conspiracies and murders and planting evidence and all that, which led to the Department of Justice threatening a lawsuit in 2000 against, um, in the year 2000 against the city of Los Angeles, against LAPD, and against the police commission itself, which then led to an agreement for a, a consent decree that was imposed. Uh, and when you when you look at the reasons and the and the purpose for the consent decree, it clearly articulates, and 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 to sum it up, it says that LAPD and the city of Los Angeles is incompetent and incapable of self-governance. So we saw that uh, from July 2001 until finally being lifted in May 2013, and uh, and 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 you know now we are talking about body cameras and we're talking about surveillance equipment. But before body cameras, LAPD, as a condition uh, for lifting of the consent decree, agreed to install in-car video cameras, or popularly known as dash cameras, and that happened in 2010. And, and so they started, they, they installed uh, in them in 300 patrol cars in 2011, 2012, and by April 2014, we find out that 92 out of 300 patrol cars, LAPD officers broke the antennas of these dash cameras. Um, Surely, so, an innocent mistakes uh, due to uh, violent action that they were being subjected to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so you know, just uh, it goes, and then uh, obviously LAPD, not just a local agency, they 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 export uh, their tactics all over the world, uh, locally in the United States itself. I mean, they are the ones, and it's all documented. Uh, they are the ones who trained El Salvadorian paramilitary squads. Uh, there's also documentation where even Marine Corps had 70 of their advisors assigned to LAPD in uh, the mid-2000s, and they cruised with LAPD in south-central Los Angeles where they learned uh, basically counterinsurgency tactics from the LAPD that were then used in al uh province in, uh, in, in, in Iraq. So um, LAPD has its footprint not just locally in the city of Los Angeles, but it runs really, really wide. A friend of mine who's an army reservist and was deployed a couple times uh, has explained, from his point of view, the the sort of topsy-turvy view that uh, while in while in the army, in you know these sort of police actions, community policing effectively is what we were doing at the tail ends of some of these engagements overseas, um, that they were constantly being lectured on the need to emulate. Uh, the best aspects of local law enforcement around de-escalation techniques, which had been very successful. Then coming home from deployment and finding that as uh, surplus arms have been flowing home, uh, that while he was on deployment, a massive militarization of local police forces had happened uh, while he was away, as if, uh, as if all the advice had been immediately forgotten. So you've highlighted uh, some of the way that, uh, you know, in some senses, 
crazy amounts of gear and firepower and, and surveillance equipment has been making its way from the military to LAPD. Uh, so I thought maybe it might be educational. Let's talk about, you know, as a, as a normal citizen, uh, you know, I get up in the morning, I leave my house, I go to work, I go to the bar after work with some friends, I go back home. What are the, you know, what are all the various ways if I'm doing that in, inside Los Angeles that I'm creating a data trail? So um, Los Angeles Police Department has created a massive uh, architecture of surveillance and, and folks can go on our website www.stoplapdspine.org and in the search bar a bunch in uh, architecture of surveillance and when it pops up click on it and there's a whole explanation. So in essence uh, what we've been able to find out and this is only what we've been able to find out through Public Records Act through city documents, through lawsuits, through various other court documents, that LAPD, so starting with basically, let's say, um, a program, you're out there, Josh, and you're with some friends, and you guys, as you were speaking about it, you're videotaping something, or you're with family and you're taking photographs in public, or you're, you are, you're looking to find out how long a building would be open uh, just to inquire about office hours. All of these now are considered suspicious activities and this comes comes through a national suspicious activity reporting initiative that got started as a national program and LAPD was a launching program uh, in March of 2008 which basically deems innocent behavior I mean taking photographs using video cameras uh, walking into a building asking about hours of operation as suspicious what's really a, a, a very alarming is that how suspicious behavior is defined and I'll, I'll just share with you directly, uh, uh, you know, as it's uh, defined as a direct quote, that it, it defines suspicious behavior as observed behavior reasonably indicative of pre-operational planning of criminal and or terrorist activity. So think about it. Observed behavior, a behavior that is being observed, reasonably indicative, that reasonably indicates that it's not a probable cause, there's no pro criminal predicate, there's no reasonable suspicion, that reasonably indicative of pre-operational planning, that you may be thinking of doing something wrong. So what happens is that leads to opening up of a secret file, which is called suspicious activity report, which then is uploaded into databases and then shipped to these warehouses of information gathering, information storing, and information sharing called fusion centers. There's about 85 of those around the country and one of the largest ones is in, uh, in Los Angeles County, in East Los Angeles. From those fusion centers, it's uploaded into another data sharing environment called information sharing environment, where it can be accessed by every law enforcement agency in the country. Just to give you an example, a government accountability office did a, an audit of the National Suspicious Activity Reporting Program, and what started in Los Angeles in 2008, and this report is about three years old, in March of 2013, they said that 14,200 local law enforcement agencies have already dialed into this program. Uh, 46 states are already dialed in. Um, at least about 300,000 local law enforcement uh, uh, personnel have been already been trained out of 800,000. 300 Department of Defense entities have been trained in this thing. Every close to about 70,000 first responders have been trained. And every agency, a public benefit agency, Social Security Administration, um, uh, Wildlife and Fisheries, HUD, every agency is a part and parcel of this program. So your information and a couple examples I'll share with you is that how, how hurtful it could be and the issue of false positives, how that can mess people up. That 
uh, we were able to get some actual SARS for the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department and on photography. And, and some of them were so absurd. For example, a group of young, uh, four young women from Brentwood Art School on a field trip taking photographs get stopped. Uh, the sheriff takes their information. Next thing you know, the information is uploaded into Joint Terrorism Task Force database. Now that, so, and, and what, what's really the kicker here is that private contractors, a lot of them have open access to this information as well. So that's um, always the question with any information repository is not just what's going into it, but how is it being used? So if I, for instance, am stopped for speeding in Los Angeles, is, uh, is all of this on a screen as part of judging whether or not uh, you know, further investigation or enforcement is warranted? It's, it's it immediately they are now dialed into uh, Los Angeles Police Department has its own what's known as a RACER unit, A-R-A-C-R, a real-time crime analysis sort of stuff with their own internal fusion center. But your information is not only being picked up by the Suspicious Activity Reporting Program. You also have the iWatch See Something, Say Something program where private individuals are now calling in suspicious behavior. Uh, you also have uh, the intelligence gathering guidelines where LAPD can now legitimately plant informants in political organizations uh, based on a tip. They can also take on fictitious personas and fake identities to friend you on social media. Then you have the automatic license plate readers, they'll track you. Then you have the high definition cameras that if you're just walking around they'll pick up your information. Then you have trap wire technology and those are these, these, um, these real-time uh, they're much faster than facial recognition uh, you, uh, you know, uh, equipment, and they pick up your body image, which is immediately transmitted to these fusion centers. Um, then you have predictive policing, and then you have body cameras. So in essence, there's a whole architecture of surveillance, so all your information is now being matched against a lot of these pickup points, um, and anything can trigger anything. So, I mean, so, like so what should the rules be? What the... You know, when we're, we've obviously got a huge technological capability. Uh, there's, you know, government is going to dive in and buy all the tools we allow them to buy. Industry will as well, you know, in order to figure out how to sell you this or that or know just when to offer you the right coupon. What, uh, you know, in your opinion with reading about this stuff, there are lots of things that we look at and it passes this, you know, that it just immediately throws up a flag. It, uh, it says, man, I, you know, I just don't want all that information out there about me. Many of us uh, in our 40s, of course, will joke that, you know, I'm so glad that my time in college was not captured on a camera phone every 10 minutes, right? Um, so what, what would be reasonable standards to impose on LAPD in terms of what they're not allowed to do? Or if they are, do collect information, uh, you know, what access they're required to give the rest of us? So the way the Stop LAPD Spying approaches, it's very clear, and this is something like, you know, for, with our membership and the communities that we work with, that, that people are not asking for any regulatory oversight. People are asking for a dismantlement of these programs. That's where our, our fights have been. We launched a campaign when LAPD acquired two drones from the Seattle Police Department in May of 2014. And we launched the Drone Free LAPD No Drones LA campaign. And, and our demand was that under no circumstances, uh, regardless of whatever policy, we will accept that. And I'll, and I'll go to the reasons why. But real quickly on the drone piece, we've been able to keep those grounded. Uh, and LAPD just swears up and down that they're not using them. The problem is that when we talk about surveillance, Josh, we have to look at it through the lens that this is not a moment in time, but a continuation of history. 
I mean, this just didn't start after 9-11. We have a very long history of how uh, any time we have given, and even under the most you know, strictest of oversight regime, it is just in the nature of law enforcement, uh, and, we, and we call it that fundamentally it is flawed by design, something that is anchored in slave catching, in, in, in you know, just, just uh, saving people's property. And, and uh, so I think it is the, for us it's very clear that we don't, we don't accept that, our fight is to dismantle these programs and clearly get rid of them. What, what that fight takes, how long that it takes, we are constantly, we've been building. And I think that's what, what uh, as we started this conversation, that's what the Stop LAPD Spying has been doing is that rather than looking uh, at the court systems or federal courts or even through the legislative channels as well, we are building a grassroots movement and it's only through people power that we've been able to get the drones, to keep the drones grounded. We were able to force the LACD Human Relations Commission to, uh, to hold public hearings on the suspicious activity reporting program, which was the first time that it ever happened in the country. We are now exposing and now building, and actually tomorrow we have a big meeting, which high school youth are going to be leading uh, against the FBI's new guidelines, which are now called Preventing Violent Extremism in Schools, which are targeting all high school students. We launched a, a campaign against predictive algorithms and predictive policing. And then we've also launched a campaign called Data Justice Project, where we are now looking at this not just through a law enforcement lens, but how our bodies are being policed, and that's what the information sharing and intelligence gathering, how it intersects with public benefits as well. So in essence, you know, what, what has happened is that we have definitely created a pushback. We have put them on the defensives, and we are there every week at the police commission. So, so in, in essence, the answer to your question, that we have a very long history of regulatory oversights, and we've seen what's happened. We saw what happened as a Pro, we saw what happened as a result of red squads, and we see the abuse that is going on. That how um, you know, in essence, increasingly counterterrorism and counterinsurgency tactics are being codified and incorporated into domestic policing. So this uh, this idea of mission creep, uh, it it's a historical theme that it, it always seems to happen. It's very much a historical theme, and now we also have evidence of clear racial profiling. The SAR program that I talked to you earlier. Uh, we forced the LAPD inspector general to do an audit, and he did. Uh, he's done two audits up until now, 2013, and the other one was released in January 2015. Uh, the most recent one in January 2015 showed that in a full fiscal year audit of these SAR programs, 30% um, of these su supposedly secret files for counterterrorism that were oh, uh, the total of 30% uh, out of the total. They, which were sent to fusion centers, 30% of them identified individuals as blacks. Uh, in the gender count, where the gender was listed, 50% were identified as black women. Now, a city of Los Angeles that has 9.4% black population, you're clearly looking at a disparate impact, about a three to one impact in the black community. I, the I'm, assuming, I'm assuming that the crime statistics in LA do not show that 50% of the crime is committed by black women. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, so you're seeing clear evidence of racial profiling. And what's also interesting is, and it's very alarming, that not only it, it, it's, it's, it's promoting racial profiling, not only it is an invasion of privacy, not only that these are not based on any scientific evidence or even any, 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 any evidence or, or any criminal predicate, we are, we are, uh, we are um, actively promoting a culture of suspicion and fear that the last audit showed that close to 79% of these SARS came from the iWatch See Something, Say Something program. So now you have private individuals who are calling in quote unquote suspicious individuals 
who just majority of these reports or their disparate impact happens to be on the black community. Coming from Florida, the land of activists, uh, HOAs, where many such reports are simply generated by jealous neighbors, uh, I can only imagine the terrible incentives this sets up given the consequences of being vacuumed up in some of this data. Also happening locally in Florida today, um, you know, I think we're seeing we're seeing increased push by a lot of police departments who want to join the game and want to buy this gear and want to set up similar programs. Uh, in little old Daytona Beach today, uh, there was a there was an ugly case a couple days ago where uh, a an Alzheimer patient um, ran over and killed a child. And we all know that many bad laws follow in the in the follow in the aftermath of the deaths of children. But we saw the police the police chief come out and say, if only the license plate number had been released sooner, our plate scanning cameras could have saved this child. So we see this sort of uh, opportunistic drumbeat to expand the surveillance uh, happening at a municipal level in multiple places. Are there other cities where, uh, I mean, are there other cities where Stop LAPD now is, uh, sorry, Stop LAPD spying is, uh, you know, beginning to assist where there's where pushback is forming. Um, several places, several places. We are being invited to uh, uh, several places. We are sharing uh, and developing a curriculum. We are sharing the documents that we are using uh, to get Public Records Act requests. So uh, we were up in uh, we were folks up in Chicago, in New York. I mean, even bigger cities as well. It's it's uh, it's almost like you know, like um, we should be really amping it up. But I think um, uh, at least never it's never too late. But people are definitely amping it up, and uh, we are being invited. We have been speaking. We've been sharing these models. But Los Angeles itself is a is a very big county. Uh, just last night, we had a meeting with the Black Lives Matter folks out in Long Beach, uh, California, as well, where they they were looking for our assistance in stopping the body camera program. And I just want to go back to the Florida piece you just said because listening back to some of the 911 tapes uh, when Trayvon Martin was murdered, one of the first things that Zimmerman says in 911 is that we have someone suspicious in our neighborhood. Um, so, in, so the see something, say something turns into doing something which ends up in the loss of a young person's life and the murder of these things. So, so I think it, it's, a, it's a call to action for a lot of folks out there. We would be more than happy to assist any which way we can. Um, we have developed uh, you know, this architectural surveillance, the visuals that we have. We use a lot of cultural work. We use a lot of videos. Uh, we're developing some uh, uh, video-based curriculum as well. So it's 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 a process of uh, you know knowledge exchange and knowledge and collective learning. Uh, so please feel free to email us at stoplapdspying at gmail .com. Go to our website at www.stoplapdspying.org. Well, thank you very much for talking with us today. Uh, it was it's been educational for us as a privacy provider, uh, as well as for those of us working on the podcast, just to see uh, the extent to which there is organized opposition to the extension of the state security apparatus. So thank you very much for talking with us, and we'll hope that, uh, we'll hope that we can do any small part to add to the visibility of the efforts you're, you're undertaking. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Josh. Much appreciated. Jim Killick, executive director of the Open Rights Group, chats with Josh next week about the UK Snoopers Charter, digital surveillance, and the mysterious error 451. Secure Sessions is sponsored by IPVanish VPN.